get on that? Morning, I'm Tom Bernardo. Uh, it's my honor to be filling in and helping out in, uh, while there's an interim going on. Looking for the permanent uh, teaching pastor here, and I'm just really glad to be with you. But I got to tell you, after the video I saw today, I would have rather been in the room with those guys <laughs> than in the room with you right now. Nothing personal. Just looked like a whole lot more fun <laughs> than what you're about to hear. <laughs> Some of you have moved. Uh, we moved a year and a half ago. And if, you know, if you've driven your own moving truck, you know that the large self-moving trucks are about, they, they range from, in height from about 12 feet to about 13 and a half feet tall. There is a, uh, a train trestle bridge in Durham, North Carolina that has been there for years. They can't do anything about it because there's a main sewer line that goes right underneath the road that they can't make any lower. And that train trestle is 11 feet 8 inches tall. For years, trucks of people like you and I who have been trying to just move ourselves or do something have met that trestle. Um, It's happened so often that uh, somebody who works in the area decided in 2008 to set up two cameras, one on each side of the street, just to capture the hilarity that ensues (laughs) when, when people attempt to do that. And in that time, there have been examples of that happening like this. About, since 2008, 130 different incidents have been recorded of people who attempted to navigate that bridge and found out that when it says 11.8, it does not mean 12.5, and and that gate is not giving. (laughs) And then you got, especially got guys like this one, who looks at it, who sizes it up, decides, nope, and then goes, you know what, I'm not so sure. All right. When, um, when people encounter that bridge, they, 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 they learn something, okay? That that is a fixed entity. It's not going anywhere. It's not giving quarter. It's not taking prisoners. It's just there, and you have to deal with it. And they have signs about it. There are signs for blocks to tell it's coming. They've even got a monitor that, that if, you're, if you're too high, if your vehicle's too high, it flashes, it reads it and flashes. Turn back, you're too high. And people still choose to do otherwise. That, that bridge has got a position. It's an absolute position. It's got instructions. And it's got an appropriate way to approach it. If you choose not to do that, if you don't, if, if you, you if you don't acknowledge it and adjust to it and respect it, there is a consistent outcome. That is very, very similar to what we're going to see in this book of the Bible called the book of Daniel. If you have a, a Bible with you or access to one on a device, I encourage you to look. It's to- toward the second half of the Old Testament. It's the last of what are called the, the major prophets. Um, as you know, there's, a, a, there's a, an overview. If you're new today, then you're jumping into the middle of a uh, a, it's route 66, 66 books of the Bible, covering an overview of the Bible. Book of Daniel's in the Old Testament's on that banner right there. Major prophets just mean it's one of the larger ones. It's the last of those. And in the book of Daniel, we're going to see a bunch of stuff, but there's something really important that this series is underscoring that I want to kind of remind you about today. And that is something that's very, very cool about what God has done for us. He has said, and, and what the Bible's about, because there's some people get really intimidated reading the Bible, right? You've talked about that. 
you get lost in some of the stuff, the stories and the cultural changes. You don't know what's going on. And you just saw that overview of the book of Daniel. You're, you're going to be disappointed today. I'm not going to unpack the entire thing. I'm, we're just going to take snapshots, okay? Just get an overview. But here's, here's the thing that's really cool about what God has done for us in the Bible. The Bible is absolutely, from start to finish, one story. It is absolutely one story. All component parts of one story. Last week, if you were here, I gave you a phrase that I w- I've used in the past to suggest what, how you could summarize what that story's title could be or the theme of that story, and it's this. It is the making and the redeeming of God's kingdom. That God, the creator, the eternal one, decided to, to uh, bless and have other creatures who could understand and, and be and bring praise and glory to him by seeing how good he is and how right he is, letting them share in the story. So he decided he would establish his own kingdom. And the whole story from start to finish is the making of that kingdom and the redeeming of the kingdom. Now, I want to give you another little tool. There's no charge for this as a little aside, okay? All right, here's a little tool that if you like, I can give you this. It's not fancy or anything, but just ways to show that in the grand picture how the different parts kind of fit together. That God decided for the story to, pl- to take place, the making and redeeming of his kingdom, he decided, first of all, that he created a realm in which the, this would happen, a realm for his kingdom. The heavens and the earth were created to be that. Earth in its perfect state, all the things that were created, you and I and, the, and our race were created for that. And then when we screwed up and when we blew it and we destroyed and ruptured the picture, God went into the redeeming part of his kingdom. In order to do that, then within that realm, he established a plan by which he was going to rescue and redeem his kingdom. In that plan, he decided that he was going to create a line through which he was going to deliver the redemption of that kingdom. The line is the people of Israel, the chosen people, and the line of David, through which he was going to deliver a redeemer. He was going to give them an environment to do it in, so he gave them a land that would be a center point and a a place where the kingdom would be established, the the capital it would be of that kingdom. That was the promised land. And then he created a system by which he would deliver it, the sacrificial system, the law of Moses. All that came into this place where it said that by the shedding of blood of an innocent, there would be freedom be given and, and forgiveness would be given to restore and bring back the kingdom to its original intended state. In that, but in that system, then he, something was very important to him. He was going to craft a set of experiences to establish a re- receptivity among the people who would be the subject of that kingdom. He wanted people to choose their king of their own accord. He wanted their hearts to be right. And as you see over and over again in these stories of the Old Testament and in our culture too, that's a problem. God, the hearts of people are not inclined to follow and bow to their rightful king. But he, so even the, the captivities, the Babylonian captivity that is the backdrop for Daniel and all the things that were happening there, he's looking for t- to create a receptivity, to give a heart of flesh instead of stone, he says, to, to his people. So they would welcome their king, and then he would deliver the Redeemer king. He would visit the planet himself in the form of one of his creatures. Jesus, the Son of God, was God the Son in the flesh, and he then would deliver the payment of the system to, to reestablish the kingdom. And then that kingdom, there, of that kingdom, there would be no end. It would be restored. There would be no more death. That, this plan has been in effect since the very first of created days. All of the Bible, and I, can I just suggest to you, you open your Bible anywhere, what you read about there falls somewhere in these component parts 
of that overall plan. I'm going to put that down, and if you like it again later, I will be glad to show you. But that becomes the, the backdrop for the Babylonian captivity and the book of Daniel. Now, I'm not going to belabor it all, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not even going to give you the best stuff today. Because the best stuff is, you know, Daniel the lion's den, and, you know, the fires, and all that kind of stuff. And then all the crazy visions, and, say, and, and people line up for seminars in the book of Daniel to say, would you map out where it all happened through history, and which king means which, and which one, and, and which current day leader is going to be the one that shows up to be one of those guys with the horns and all that stuff. You're not going to get any of that today. And I got to tell you, frankly, I don't know that that's really the whole purpose of the book of Daniel, like you heard in the video. There's some more important reasons why it's given to us, but there's historical parts of it, so we'll cover some of that. Now, Daniel was one of several who were taken captive, and it was the, the, ba the Babylonians when they took over 587 uh, B.C., the, what we call the Babylonian captivity, and, the, and exiles were taken out of Jerusalem and the Holy Land, the land that you saw there, under this pagan king to be uh, reoriented into a different culture to try to appropriate them into this, into this empire. When they do that, they are probably, by the way, if you're a teenager here today, they're probably your age. Most experts would say Daniel was probably about 15 years old when he was plucked out and taken along with his friends. And they're groomed, but very much subservient. And that 70-year span of that captivity that God said would happen, Daniel is part of that, and he is in proximity to the kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, and others, not just for the Babylonian, but even the, as the empire is overthrown by the Persians. He's there for all of it. He becomes a prominent player because he's given the ability to interpret dreams. It becomes known that that happens. He becomes quite a player in that kingdom. So he's there for the Babylonian captivity. And then the Persian takeover that began God's promise that he would take his people back to, the, to their land. Again, God's purpose is just to try to help their receptivity, get them, get them ready for their king, help them to do that. And he spans these regime changes. And uh, the Persian folks who are at the end are the same ones, if you were here last week, at, under which Esther was in Susa. That's where this all fits in the story. Daniel gets a front row seat to God's theater as, he, as he's got some things he's going to say. And here's part of what you see happen, that there have always been and always will be until God establishes it, challenges to God's plan. Now, this, I, we're not here for you to have a Bible lesson today. I, we want you to learn, but... You know what we really want? We want you to know that king because he made you to enjoy his kingship. He made you to be a part of that kingdom. He, he, he is the author of our lives. He, he's, he has a plan for you, and it's a good plan. Da Daniel is going to watch as God sees that ever since that has happened, there have been rivals to that plan, rivals to his kingship, threats to it, disappointments to it. There are powers that, that stand up and say, no one's going to tell us what to do. That's going to come in later. And so Daniel has these lessons, like we heard, on keeping our perspective, staying on track, retaining hope in the midst of all the threats and all the signals that come your way, that come both from outside you, that tell you that you do not need to bow to any king, the ones that come from within you that say, don't let anybody tell you what to do. You're your own person. And what we're going to see is Daniel, the theme I gave it for in your notes is 
The world only has one true king. And can I extend that? If you're sitting here in this room, you, you and I, you only have one true king. And it's a good one. He's, he's one worth following and worth staying true to. Now, I want to do, what I want to do is pluck just a couple things out of this to kind of illustrate some aspects of that. And here's one of them. That the world's only true king has a way for life to work. And the call is, don't compromise it. Because if you do, you can say, you can't tell me that I can't get my truck under your bridge. And you will find out there's a reason why the signs are there. There's a reason why the path is laid out. Life is better when the one who constructed it tells us how it works and we say, all right, you've got a way and I want to comply with it. I'm not going to compromise with it. So Daniel and his friends, teenagers, as you remember, in Daniel 1 have this happen. In Daniel 1, verse 1, third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. This is the takeover. They deliver him and then it says, verse 3, the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to do something that he, they did. It. Everybody they conquered, they do this. They would bring in a handful of others, try to acclimate them to their culture, try to assimilate other cultures into theirs. They do that with Israel too. And it says, verse 4, that you find young men without physical de- defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Teach it, they teach their language. They're going to basically try to be, make them Babylonians. And among these, verse uh, 6 says, is Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Gives them new names. Again, this, they're, see, they're changing everything about them. What's funny about this is we, uh, we know the ones by their new names except for Daniel. I don't know why we've retained, we haven't retained the other three Hebrew names, but that's how it is. That's the difference that you'll see there. So they bring them in, they say, look, you've got a way, you've, you, but you've got, a new, you've got a lot to learn, so you're going to come here, and these, fo- these guys are taken away from their homeland, away from their families, away from everything, and they're subjected to ungodly leadership who do not acknowledge their, their God. They're enslaved to a, cor- to a corrupt government. And then they're invited to compromise the standards God gave them. Now, I'm not going to get into all this, but the part of the reason for the law, the system that God gave to them, was to distinguish his people from all the other cultures around them. So many of the dietary restrictions and things you look at and you wacko stuff, you go, boy, what in the world are all those rules and laws about? They don't make any sense to us. They made a whole lot more sense to them because all the polytheistic followers of other gods in other cultures were doing all these practices and, they, and God basically said, look, my plan, I'm going to bring you, I want to show people the way intended, so I'm gonna, I want you to be distinct. Be distinct in the way you marry. Be distinct in the way you eat because they give all this, they, they, they give these sacrifices to these other gods. Don't, follow me. Do it my way. I, the, the right, the only king has got a way. Do it. They're invited, and, the, and part of that's dietary restrictions. So they say, here, eat. You guys are lucky ones. Man, you get in the king's palace, you get treated well. You're gonna, life's going to be good for you. And look what it says in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, when he, and he asked the chief priest for permission not to defile himself this way. He could have been killed for that. But he, he, he asked that he would do Now, if you're 
15 years old and you've already been compromised in so many ways, you got to ask the question, is it really that big a deal to you what's in, put in front of you? I mean, you've already been diminished. You've already been enslaved. You've already been displaced. It doesn't say this, but almost certainly because of the culture, they've been castrated. I mean, he's lost a lot already. Is it that big a deal to eat veggies instead of hot dogs? Is, that, is it, is it going to make that much of a difference? It would be understandable at that point to say, you know, you could acqui- acquiesce a little bit. But Daniel, even as a young man, says he, he recognizes something. I have one king, and his way is best. I'm going to trust it. Because God, he knows something about God, something that you and I, we, we, we might say we know it, but we don't always. He is God, and I am not. Some of us in the room need to be reminded of that. He's got a way. He asked me to follow it. I only have one king. And that means his way is right even if no one's noticing. He's far away from his homeland. No, he's not going to get in trouble for, the, for breaking this rule. No one's going to, no, if anything, he's going to pay a price for, for not complying. But he says, he resolves in his heart, and, he, and then he makes a deal. He says, look, give us the food that we ask for and compare. And the guy says, look, I like you, but I'll get in trouble. And if you just read the rest of chapter 1, you see what happens. And I'll just, i got to move on, but I'll just read it. This is really worth looking through. And their complexion and their vitality. And when they get done, it turns out that they exceed everybody else, and the king takes notice. And then it turns out Daniel's given another gift by God, perhaps because of his faithfulness, and he gives him the ability to interpret dreams. Now, there's a point about there, and I'm going to just pause a couple times in these reflections to bring it to you and I, okay? Just reflect on this a little bit. Because it is, um, it is just really, really common, isn't it, for us to just kind of make small concessions and compromises just to kind of fit in. Just because everybody else does it. It'd be weird not to do what everybody else is doing. Easily excused, easily justified to say to ourselves, have you ever said about it something, you got a little check it that hits you in your soul and you go, should I do that? Should I say that? Should I watch that? Should I expose myself to that? Should I be involved in that? And then what follows is the phrase, eh, it's no big deal. Eh, everybody does it. It's our custom. It's, it's standard around here. Can I suggest this to you? If you have a desire, any desire at all, some of you are early on the stage of even exploring what it means to have a relationship with God. Keep coming. Keep checking out what the claims of Jesus are. Keep, keep thinking about it. Some of you entered that. Some of you walked with him for a long time. If on any level you say to yourself that you have a desire to see, see what it looks like for your life to go if God were actually calling the shots, for God to kind of be in a position of leading you and, and giving you direction in life, I want to suggest this to you. The things that will sabotage that, that road for you 
will probably, most likely, not be the huge explosions. They will be the small little diversions. Just the small little turns. Most of, most of us know that if we want to go in direction, well, if we turn and go backwards, we're, we're going to go the wrong way. But you know what? If, if we just go a little bit to one side, a little bit off, then we're still going to kind of get where we're going, aren't we? More damage. Hear this. More damage is done to people's hearts and characters and lives and the ministry of the gospel and churches by people and groups that take just small little turns, just small little compromises than the big explosive things that get, make all the headlines. I, I've been in ministry for 30-some years, and I will tell you that I, do n- I don't think I've gone three months in any of that time without hearing about, a, about somebody who's in a position like mine, a pastor somewhere, a leader somewhere, who's, who has had to step away from their ministry because of something that went on in their life. Some of them have been really good friends of mine. Even the ones that look terrible, you know how they started? One small little deviation. One small little time where they were in a place they didn't think they probably should be. They said something they probably, but no one would have looked at it at that moment and said, oh, that's terrible. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You know what it was all was was just they ate, a, they ate a little bit of meat instead of the vegetables. They just kind of crossed a little bit, just a small little compromise. Just in the past month, another evangelical leader has had to step down from, from a position because of accusations. And you know, it's funny. Years and years ago, I heard people complain about the Billy Graham rule saying how ridiculous it was because Billy Graham made a commitment early in his ministry. He said, I will never have a one-on-one private meeting with a female. They said, oh, that's so sexist. Oh, that's so misogynist. Oh, that's just horrible. And he said, look, I, I'm an important position, and if I, 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 I want to honor women, I, wanna, I want to help them, but I'm always going to have somebody in the room. I'm always going to be there. Have, and you know, isn't it funny? And think of what you want about Billy Graham. I, I, I'm a fan, okay? In all his years of ministry, he was never accused of sexual impropriety. Never. And he said something that, that when I was ordained, my pastor who said it to me, that he quoted Billy Graham. And I heard it again recently. That Billy Graham always said to leaders, he said to young leaders, he said, look, here's, here's what I want to tell you. Don't touch the women. Don't touch the money. And don't touch the glory. And I was instructed similarly. So whatever you do, do not compromise in those areas. Not even the small little things that, eh, it won't matter. And Billy Graham goes his whole life and never is exposed as ever having a fallen. Now, he's a, he was a man of flesh. He has sinned. He was forgiven. But there's something, there's a lesson by that. And Daniel understood the lesson. Daniel said, I would rather you throw me in a pit of hungry lions then compromise the way that the true king has called me to live. His friends say, I would rather you throw me into an incinerator than compromise. There is a lesson there for, for those of us. And I've, King Solomon, who's 
the land was overrun by advancing armies. It was devastated by droughts. And what he said in Song of Songs, what he said was, the thing that devastates the land, the vineyards, is the small foxes. Just the small foxes. Catch the small foxes. Now, can I just ease onto your toes just for a moment and just invite you to just do a little inventory right now. No one in the room is going to ask you hard questions about this unless they're in a group with you, and they should. But I want to just ask you, in fact, I want to dare you. Would you say to God with an honest heart, God, if there's something that has been going on in my life that is a small compromise, a small concession, and you would want me to pay attention to it, would you just, by your spirit, prompt that? Can I dare you to ask him that? You can do it right now. Just, and I'll tell you right now, you're not going to like the answer. If he brings something to your mind, you're probably not going to like it. You'll be quick to try to deny it or quick to try to justify it. Pay attention to that, please. Because the right king, the good king, whose way is best, is saying, okay, now there's opportunity to live it out. Daniel understood that. If that happens, and I will invite you to do this, to confess it to God, to call it what it is. That's what confession means. Say the same thing about it he does. Confess it to God. And then, would you go to a trusted friend or a circle of friends and say it to them for accountability's sake? See, this is what God's been stirring me about. And it might be the smallest thing they would go, that's nothing. doesn't matter. Sound and light waves that you've been allowing into your eyes or ears. Things that you've been presenting yourself with, comments you have made, choices, places, whatever it might be. The, only, the world's only true king has a way. It works. It's best. Don't compromise. Now, let, let me just steer you toward, a, toward another thought about the world's only true king that Daniel lived out. And that's, I, I'd phrase it this way. The world's only true king has a position don't usurp it. Now, this is a big theme throughout this and all of the Old Testament where there are rival kings, literal rival kings. But it's, but it's not just the position of a monarchy. It's, it's, it's an attitude of self-elevation, of, of having an uh, entitled autonomy perspective on my own choices and life. So sometimes it's possessed through, through military takeover or political strength. Sometimes it's power in a certain p setting, like a, a job at work or, or a place in a family or that kind of thing. And sometimes it's just a sense of personal independence uh, and a personal birthright. And just and, and you're getting signals of, from this all over, over our culture right now. Let's say you are you, you are perfect the way you are. Don't let anybody ever tell you that your impulses are not justified. You, you can identify however you want to be identified. You can do whatever you want to do. You have a human right. Don't, don't, anybody who says otherwise is a bully or an oppressor. Those are the signals you're getting and will continue to get. That is not new. It's just taken different forms. And other kings have risen up and they've got this wealth of power and, and position behind them, and they've said, now no one can touch me. Now I'm in a, now look at what I've done. And that's what the kings of Babylon and then Persia had done and were doing. 
And it's a, a, some amazing stuff that what happens in Daniel. Again, I'm just going to summarize this. But Nebuchadnezzar, the one who was in charge that brought Daniel, and, and, he, and Daniel had won his favor. In, if, you, if you just read in chapter 3 what happens, he has this dream, and, and Daniel interprets the dream. And, um, and, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, ha, has this uh, vision, and he says, I know what I'm going to do. You know what? I'm going to put a big statue to myself. And this is where the incinerator comes in. And everybody's got to bow. Everybody's got to bow. He establishes himself by saying, I am the king and no one else is. No, Belteshazzar follows him and has a dream, asks Daniel to uh, interpret the dream. If I just, I'm just going to pick out a verse. Uh, when Daniel, this is chapter 4, verse 17, if you want to look. Daniel interprets it, says, The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdicts. And here's the reason. This is, what, this is what God wants to get your attention to say. So that the living may know. Here it is. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to everyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. He interprets the dream and says, By the way, Belshazzar, it's over for you. You're going to learn that the hard way now. And that night... His kingdom ends. He's killed. When, then, then the Persian Empire starts. Xerxes rises up, uh, Cyrus before him. Daniel gives all, those, all the ones that I'm not even going to begin to unpack for you today, all the, the, the dreams and visions that follow about future kings. Here's a consistent thing about them. Every one of them represents somebody who raises himself up and says, not going to tell me what to do, not going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge here. This is it. And God has got one consistent answer for all then. Yeah, we'll see about that. And, they, and you see them smashed and destroyed. And regardless when they're fully fulfilled, the, still, the, truth is, the truth that comes out is this. The world only has ever had one true king. Rivals are going to come up. But, it, but understand that if, if you see that king, he is in a position. Don't attempt to usurp it. It will not go well for you. And then you see how it doesn't go well for them. This is, look at what Proverbs 21 one says. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Isaiah says this. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rules of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground. than he blows on them. That's it. He just blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. So, I'm just going to refer to it, read it. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Nebuchadnezzar raises himself up, and God says, yeah, we'll see about that. And he contracts a disease. It has a name, boanthropy. It, if you read it, you'll see, and if you're familiar, you know this happened to him. But all, it's a mental illness. That, it's assumed this is what it is because of the description. And he suddenly begins to think of himself and behave like it's bow for bovine, like cattle. He's tearing his clothes off. He's walking on all fours. He's out in the fields eating grass. He's mooing like a cow. Now, you can insert your Chick-fil-A jokes right now. <laughs> Just like that, the most powerful man in the kingdom 
And, and can you imagine his people going, uh, where's the king? You know, he's a little indisposed at the moment. What's he doing? Well, he's squatting in the field at the moment, you know, cleaning up after him. I, I, you know, it is, it is hilarious, but it's also amazing how God says, watch what happens. Because the one true king has a position. Oh, don't usurp it. Don't pretend that your way is without flaw and yours is superior because he controls all that. He says to, uh, just look at uh, chapter 5. There's this, a hand starts writing on the wall and it writes, meeny, meeny, tikkul, parsi. <coughs> and, and they're interpreting what it means. The king sees it, is freaked out because it's, it's a, a poltergeist. You know, he's kind of seeing a hand writing something going on. Daniel comes, what does that mean? And this is verse 26. This is what these words mean. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tickle, you have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. You ever heard that phrase? This is where it comes from. You've been weighed and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, it must impact him. He must know it that it makes sense because verse 29 says at Belshazzar's command Daniel was clothed in purple a gold chain was placed around his neck he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom I'm going to speculate for a minute and say he's trying really hard to go okay no you're the God guy look I'm going to treat you okay Uh, it's going to be all right right look at the next verse that very night Belshazzar king of the Babylons was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62 Okay, now, now stop there for a minute and think of it. Let me just give you another invitation. Because it's one thing to look at uh, foreign kings and say, well, they, they shouldn't have done that. But the principle of self-elevation, of saying you have reached a, a position where no one should tell you what to do or what, you should, or what you're doing wrong or what, you, what should happen in your life, That self-elevation is the same germ. It's the same disease. And I got to tell you, I'm a carrier of that. I don't like God telling me what to do anymore than I like you telling me what to do. Can I be honest? I don't like complying with all his principles and guidelines. And I know he loves me. I know why he's done it. And I still don't like it. Because I have impulses. I have things that, that are just strong things that I want to think, things I want to do, things that give me pleasure, or things that I think are going to work better for me. You know, this generation has been said, the millennials have been said to be the epitome of that. To say, you're perfect, you're perfect, you're perfect, just the way you are. We have songs about it. We've got things that say, don't let anybody try to change you. Don't let anybody try to talk you out of it because you are perfect just the way you are. And you may have seen just recently MTV Awards. Did you see what happened? Did you see Chris Pratt? He was, he was Chris Pratt who, who is a self-described follower of Jesus and a well-known actor right now, an A-list actor right now. And he, he's given the Generations Award. MTV gives a Generation Award. And he stood up and he said, he accepted the award. And he said, well, okay, this kind of means that I'm supposed to be a, a, the, this generation. I'm like a mentor to them. So listen up. And he gave him five, nine principles for, for a living. That some of them are very funny. Some of them are very poignant. I want you to hear the very fi- final one he said. This was his last one. Number nine, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. 
Okay. Well, yeah, I want to hear it twice. You need to get his resume for the position here. <laughs> Can I ask you just to do a, lin- a little inventory about this? Is there any way that right now your kind of your life has some self-directing going on? A little bit disregarding of the fact that there is a king to whom you answer, who loves you, who is who's who is on the throne. Who's, who's on, it's, maybe it's an old way to say it, but I'll just say it. Who's on the throne right now for your decisions? I mean, really, not cliche. For the vast majority of us, we're told, you're perfect, go with your own decisions. And God would say, you need to get off the throne. Because eventually, you will be off the throne. But if we choose to remove ourselves from it, we incur the grace that we just heard about. Now, I've got to hurry. I'm going to just do this too quick. Here's one more, one more thought drawing from the book of Daniel. I'm just going to put it this way. The, the world's only true God, only true king, he has a holiness about him, an otherness, a purity. He has a distinction. There's a rightness about him, and in contrast to him, nothing else has any level of purity. And the call for us is to humble ourselves in front of it. Now, I want to just invite you one more passage in Daniel chapter 9. Because in Daniel chapter 9, there's a prayer that, of Daniel that almost never gets preached on. And I want to encourage you that if you don't read anything else of Daniel, for now, just pass by the, the fiery furnace and, and the lion's den and all the visions. And just camp out in Daniel 9 and the prayer of Daniel because you're going to see something. And let it just penetrate to you to think about the attitude that Daniel has. Here's a guy who has watched God's plan unfurling. As we heard, he's toward the end of the 70 years, and he's just, he has seen God's people just continue to rebel, and they continue to be uh, oppressed. And the 70 years is almost over, and he's saying, God, when is, is, it, when is this going to happen? And he's legitimately saying, God, I want your kingdom to be fulfilled. Would you do this? But watch how he approaches the, the king, the, you, you might have just seen it this week, there's a whole hullabaloo about how our president behaved around the queen, okay, like do you, where do you walk and what do you, is your button jacket, your ja- jacket buttoned, all this kind of stuff. There's like this protocol for being around royalty, that, that's an aged monarch of a country I don't live in. But now we're talking about the real, the one true king. And how is he supposed to be approached? And keep this in mind. There's something that's true about Daniel. There's only a handful of Bible characters. The Bible's a very gut-level, honest book. And all the leaders, even the strongest of them, are really flawed. But Daniel is one of only a handful about whom there is no negative quality ever recorded. That doesn't mean he didn't have them. It just wasn't a highlight of him. And this is a guy who has consistently been warning God's people and calling them back to repentance. And, and his heart has been... Has been craving what God would do. But when he approaches God, look at what happens. Start with verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. You see what it said? I prayed to the Lord and what? Confessed. Confessed. O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. 
We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings. He goes on and on and says, we're, verse 7, we're, we're covered with shame. Verse 8, O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. You know, four different times he says, we have sinned against you. Wait, what do you mean, Daniel? What do you mean we? You're about the only guy who's not, who, who's doing it right. But Daniel understands something. He understands this is no time to lay blame. I, my, this is a weird thing I, I do. I don't know if you do it. When I start to get a cough and I think I'm getting sick, you know, the first thing I do is I start to think about who gave me this? <laughs> you know, I was around Joe. Joe, I, Joe, I, Joe sneezed. Doggone, I, I'm sure I got it from Joe, and I'm reporting to my wife where I got my flu or where I got my cough. And she asked me, Tom, what does it matter? I don't know. It just feels good to just say, you, you're responsible for my malady. Daniel would have a right to go, God, your people, would you get me out of here? But you know what he does instead? He goes, we have sinned. We need to confess. There's no leveraging from Daniel. There's no convincing God. There's no of, about his own purity. There's not, there's not, he's not lobbying on his behalf or anybody else's. And look what he says in verse 17. When he makes his petition, he says, God, would you do something? Listen to the, the basis for it. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. For your sake. Not for my sake. He's not, not because I deserve it or because our, we've paid enough of a price. No, God, you'll be glorified. For your, you've got a plan. For your sake, would you do this? There's a, there's a prevalence... Um, of just victim mentality, isn't there? Okay. A whole lot of us have it. it it's, not, it's not my fault. We, first thing we do is we blame someone else for our problems. We say it's somebody else's fault. And then maybe if we were involved in there's a you hear this with politicians, there's a sense of acknowledgement. This, this phrase gets used. Well, mistakes were made. <laughs> okay. And then if it goes a little farther, it could go to it, maybe to the admission stage. It doesn't happen very often, but it says, okay, well, I, I, there were some missteps. And then the, this phrase gets used, I take responsibility. Now, that's usually t- said by somebody who's acknowledging that they, they did something wrong, but basically s- means I'm saying it so I should be, I'm, that's enough, right? They don't mean I take responsibility like you can do what you want to me. That's, it means I'm, I, I'm just admiss- admitting it, so let's get on with our lives, shall we? And then, there, then later on, in all rare occasions, is what we hear the Bible talks about when it talks about humility. Because, you know, think about this. Because this is where it's going to come down to for you and I and how we approach God. Do you know that about the, there's about the only way you can really get God to really kind of use martial forces against you? I mean, God is for you. He may, he may, he, he may trim things. He may prune it life. He may discipline you, but he's always for you. But if you want a God to stand diametrically opposed to you, this is how it happens. God opposes pride. That's pretty significant. And in contrast, David, after his sin with Bathsheba, said this. 
He says, if you wanted sacrifices, God, if you wanted me to try to make it up to you, I would do it. The sacrifice you want, though, is a broken spirit, a broken, repentant heart, oh God, that you will not despise. God opposes the proud, but look, go on to see what else it says in 1 Peter 5. But he gives grace to humble people. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in, in due time. Now, I want you to see something that I just love that I've never heard preached in Daniel, but I, and I'm just going to mention it. Daniel is asking God to incline himself toward his people, and he does it by saying, i got a broken heart. I'm just going to confess. I'm going to tell you I need you. No explanations, no defenses, no trying to tell you what you should do. And after this prayer, God sends his messenger. And I want you to see what happens. Look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for, for his holy hill, while I was, look at this, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. And look at the next phrase. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. He goes on to explain what God is going to do, how God is going to redeem this. And it goes on to the other visions of, of Daniel. But notice what he says. As soon as you started, the grace of God is so ready to pour itself out on our hearts. We're, you, if you're here today and you say, man, if you only knew what I've been involved in, you only knew what came to my mind when I prayed earlier, you, I got a whole, if I came to God now, he would say, yeah, you got a whole lot of explaining to do. Yeah, let's see. What, let's see. That, I mean, that's, that's what we typically think. You know what the, the amazing grace of God is? It, he didn't even have to get it out of his mouth. He says, Daniel, as soon as you started praying, the answer came. God's rushing in to come alongside you, to lift you up, to take you on a path that he, toward the, the restored kingdom. It is ready to do that. His grace will drench you as soon as you start praying because God knows your heart. God knows whether it's broken or not. Guys, let me just say this to you now. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, no matter how far you've drifted, where you are with Him, no matter what sin there is in your life, even if it's the kind that keeps coming back and it's been so debilitating, it, God never, never runs out of grace to pour on that situation. He never runs out of patience or acceptance of you if your heart simply once again inclines itself to Him and just says, here I am. While, as soon as you started praying, the answer comes. There is a, an acceptance available to you and I, and maybe for you it's the first time in your life. You've heard about Jesus, you've heard about church, you've, visit, you've got history, you're not sure where it stands, but maybe for the first time in your life you recognize that, there, that God really is alive. He really is here. He really has sent His Son to bring salvation to you, to, to, to rescue you, to give acceptance to you, to give grace to you. The moment you present yourself to him and just in whatever way you can from your heart say, I have sinned and I need you. In that moment, his grace comes. And maybe that moment needs to be now. So would you bow with me in prayer?
we're going to sing in a minute, but, but would you just pause and just think about the fact that there is a God in the room who is so sovereign and so different than us that he can focus exclusively on you at the same time he's ex- focusing exclusively on everybody else. Now let me just pause and give you a moment to maybe do some business with him. If there's something you need to say to him, if there's something that you've put on the throne ahead of him that you based your decisions on instead of him, if there is an attitude that has come from you, if there's something that you, you've just been, has been stubborn, or maybe you just need to say to him, I've been lost, and I need to have the right king in my life. The moment you start praying from a broken spirit that turns to his son Jesus, he will rush in to give you an answer, to give you acceptance. God, make this even that moment. For those in the, in the room who you've been trying to get our attention about something in particular, would you get our attention now so that we would say yes? Let's go forward. You've got a better way, and I want to follow it. I'll confess it to you. I'll share it with some trusted others. I want to, I want to follow. It's better. For the ones in the room right now who may not have ever met you through your son Jesus, make this that moment where they say, it's time. It's time. Receive our worship as we turn to you, God of grace, trusting that you're the one and only true king of our lives.